0: All right. Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf with the lion, and the fattened calf together. The little child shall lead them, the cow and the bear shall gaze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw with the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy In all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge, and the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Well, good morning.
1: My name is Bill Turner. Uh, I'm a pastor of a church up in Kansas City, Missouri, known as Redeemer Fellowship. It's where my wife and two boys uh, we lived. We moved up there about seven years ago. Popper Bluff is where I grew up. This is my hometown. Uh, we live just south of uh, just south of town, and I'm really thankful to be here. Even as I was driving through the town this morning, just seeing like last night, uh, it's just me and my oldest down here this weekend, and we I drove him around. I was like, "Hey, this is where Daddy went to high school. It's not the high school anymore, and it's really nice." <laughs> and uh, And he's like, did you play football out in this really nice new field? And I was like, no, 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 no. We were back over here. This was the real football field back then. And talked about, like, walking uh, across the street to church to play basketball and, like, all of these really fun stories. And I was just praying for this town this morning. Thankful to be here. Thankful to serve you guys. Uh, Right now, currently, we live in a town called Blue Springs, Missouri, outside Kansas City. And maybe some of you know where that is. Maybe some of you don't. You should know where it is um, because in 2002, 2003, Popper Bluff Meals Basketball beat them in the state championship. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I, I never bring that up with anyone there. I never say that. I never, <clears throat> I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm from Popper Bluff. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, we, we, we beat you guys a few years ago. Um, it's always fun. It's always fun to do that, especially when uh, it's like the small town gets to beat the, the big city teams. So it's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure to be there and serve them. But I'm thankful to be here with you guys this weekend and serve you as well. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah uh, 11, but I want to back up a little bit um, to verse 20 of chapter 10. And the reason doing so is when we talk about, we're jumping in the middle of a book here to to give you some context and historical uh, realities that are at play here in Isaiah. Because if we don't grasp what's happening in Isaiah, what we just read is less clear or and even less beautiful. And so I want to do that, and and I want to talk about Isaiah overall for a second. So. What I like to say, and I've heard this um, spoken about from commentators, is that Isaiah is the Romans of the Old Testament. It's full of richness of what God's plan is for the world, what he's doing, who he is, who we are in him, and, and, and Isaiah is a prophet. He was a prophet in, the, in a time when the kingdom of God was divided into two kingdoms. So you have the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, and they're all over the place. They're all over the place. They're not obedient. They're uh, the the king presently is one of David in David's line, and he's not really this God king that they've been promised. All of this stuff happens. They're starting to make deals with other nations around them to to like protect them and to be safe, and all of this is getting bad. Nations are like threatening to come and invade, especially like Assyria. So they're making deals with Egypt. Who, if you know the history of the Bible, it's like. That's a crazy deal to make because they, as a nation that enslaved them for thousands of years, but they're making deals with them to protect them. And I believe Isaiah has a word for us today um, because the beautiful thing about prophecy and the way it works is, yes, it was for a moment in time and a particular moment in time, but it's also serving us today as we too are awaiting the Savior that will one day make all things new and redeem us, right? Amen? And so we have these two kingdoms and I want us to... uh, To make a few observations when we look at Isaiah, you'll notice a pattern if you ever like take the book, you read it, you study it on your own, you're going to notice a pattern of wrath where God's like, you've clearly walked away, you've been disobedient, you're covenant breakers. And then you see remnant and he's like, I'm not going to punish everyone like you all deserve. You deserve for me to destroy everyone. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I'm going to keep a remnant for myself for my purposes, and then the last thing is hope. So wrath, remnant, hope, where he's like that little group of people that looks uh, kind of puny and doesn't really stand a chance in this world, I'm actually going to save the entire world through those people. And so you see this pattern throughout Isaiah, and the first like half of it is pretty full of wrath. It's like you've messed up, you've broken covenant, this is what you deserve, there's a lot of like burning and cutting down and destruction, it's hard to read and hard to... Uh, even like sit in for that long. And, and if you're like me, <laughs> you get in this place where you're like, oh my gosh, this is such a repetitive book. And like other books of the Bible, we, we did a sermon series a few years ago on First John. And it was like every week. First John's a tiny book. We read it this morning. Like, I'm really thankful. I love First John. If you read First John, every sermon was like, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Walk as he is in the light. If you're not in the light, for there's not fellowship. Like, it's walk in the light. And so you get kind of burnt out on the repetitive nature. Isaiah has repetitive themes. But God, like, checked me this week as I was praying and thinking through, like, man, I hope people aren't worn out by the repetitive nature. And God was like, are you worn out by the gospel? Are you worn out? by the good news that saved your soul that you need to hear every second. And it reminded me back earlier in Isaiah when God actually is giving the prophet the message and says these two things to him. He's like, you're going to preach this message, and the people you preach it to are not going to hear, and they're not going to see. They're not going to hear, and they're not going to see. And this is a significant piece of scripture. It's one of the most Quoted scriptures in the New Testament by Jesus because every time he told a story, every time he was preaching, what did he say? Those who have ears will hear, those who have eyes will see. In Isaiah's time, and I can't even imagine being handed a message to me like, hey, go preach this to a bunch of people, they're not going to care about it. They're not going to care about it. They're not going to understand, they're not going to see. You preach and you be obedient and you be faithful. And it's just such an amazing thing to see like the bigness of God and the way that he works in scripture and in history to say like, yeah, yeah, those people didn't hear. Those people didn't see. But we're actually sitting in this room because of Isaiah's message today. Jesus's very first sermon was a reading from Isaiah. And so I wanted to give you kind of the kitchen sink with just a, a brief look into Isaiah before we jump in. And, and consider this morning that if you are tired of the repetitiveness of scripture. Maybe it's not even just this book or this morning, but it is like, man, we've been coming to church for a while. I feel like it's always the same things, like Jesus died for me, it's Jesus died for me, it's Jesus died for me. Uh, He's alive, Jesus died and he's alive. Like if you feel um, just like an angst in that and you're just tired of it, I I would ask that, I think that's an invitation from the Lord to consider, maybe I'm the person that's not hearing and the person that's not seeing. Maybe if I'm so frustrated and bound up in that, that I'm, I'm this person that's not hearing and not seeing what the Lord has. And so I'm asking the spirit even right now to move and that your ears and eyes would be open to see what he's doing. And that's the question we ask when we read scripture is God, what are you saying? What are you saying about yourself? What are you saying about us? And in Isaiah, he's shaping how we view him. He's shaping how we view his kingdom. He's shaping uh, how we view the people of his kingdom in ways that we can glorify him. A.W. Tozer has said this. He says, what we think about God is the most important thing that, that, that we think about us. So like everything that we think about in this world, thinking, the way we think about God is the most important. It's how we view ourselves. And we all have different views of who God is. Growing up, it was like God is the old man, right, with the big beard, or like maybe he's the bobblehead on the dashboard, or maybe for some of you, it's like this dictator who just moved chess pieces around a board, or um, maybe for you, it is the loving father, uh, or he's this God of justice. But we have all these views of who God is, and Isaiah is like bringing us in to give us a clear picture. One commentator says this, it says, the gospel helps change our God image. We see his wrath, which causes us to think realistically about God's justice. And then we see also in his wrath, like how how much we long for the grace of God in that. So we clearly see his justice through, through his wrath, and we see and long for the grace of God in our lives. How we view God matters, and it shapes the way we live, the way we move, the way we do our kingdom work. And so with that, I want us to go to Isaiah 10, and we're going to start in verse 20, and we're going to make our way back to 11, and 11 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. So verse 20, it says, in that day, which is a phrase used over and over and over again in Isaiah, pointing to the day when salvation would come for the people, in that day, The remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed, in the midst of all the earth. He starts that pattern, wrath, remnant, hope. Heavy hand of wrath here. He's saying that one day, all of the saviors that you rely on right now, people of Israel, people of today, all of the saviors that you hold so dear that when stuff hits the fan, you you lean on it, you rely on it. He's saying in one day, all of that will topple. It will fall. It will be shattered Anything that you have confidence in, <clears throat> other than me, is what God says, will fail you. He says, I'm your rock, I'm your salvation, and one day you will see that clearly. And God doesn't do this out of like some rage against his people that he's like, I'm just gonna hammer you into the ground because you've been disobedient, you be covenant breakers. He actually could do that, and we deserve that, right? He, we deserve all the time for God to just smash us. But in his loving grace, he's not going to allow us. He simply will not tolerate us for, as believers in him to depend on anything else but him. Don't you see what he's doing? He's cutting you off from your idols, yes. But he's doing that to set you apart for something greater, for salvation, for sanctification. He grabs our chin, directs us, Upward towards him and he says hey all this other stuff in your life that like you count on whether if you're like me like I have this pattern when I get up in the morning and it's like okay check the bank account we're good like checks aren't gonna bounce cool Uh, make sure my kids are breathing and not killing each other awesome check kinda most of the time Um, Make sure, like, nothing crazy is going on locally in our city or worldwide or with family. Like, you go through all of these systems and checks to make sure you're really comfortable in your life and make sure everything feels okay. And God says, hey, if any of those things become an idol, if you begin to lean on those things more than me, the one who's actually in control of this universe, one day those things will be shattered and you will see clearly who is sovereign over this world. That's what he was saying then, and he says that to us today. He grabs our chin, and we look at him, and then he continues in verse 24, and he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while my fury will come to an end, and my anger will be directed at their destruction. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip, as when he struck Midian at the rock of Oreb, and his staff will be over the sea, and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day, his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. He's saying right here, do not get distracted by the might of the scary things around you. Don't get distracted by the suffering and the pain and the craziness of the world around you. He's saying, don't be distracted by the might of those things. As big and as powerful and as strong as they seem, I am in control. They're, he says, like, they're like tools in my hands. What if we thought about God in that way? What would change about our life? What if we thought about his plan through that lens? What if you thought in this moment that where you are most uncomfortable where you're most in pain, um, what if you think about that and think of it that like, God hasn't put you in that spot to torture you? He's not putting that to, like, like we said, grind you into the ground. What if, and this is an invitation from Isaiah, what if it's to remove the unworthy things in your life that you're leaning on other than him? The Bible says that we are to anchor ourselves in him and him alone. He is the only rock, bedrock and salvation that we can have. And he's like, what if in our suffering, he's not like saying, hey, you've been a bad boy. I'm going to smush you. He's saying like, no, this is an invitation for the idols of your life to be put away. So you can see me clearly. The one who is stable, the one who is unshakable. The one who can hold you and and, and sustain you and give you all of the, the things that are promised in scripture. None of those idols can do that. What if we counted the greatest enemy or obstacle that we're facing right now in our life, whether it's like financial burden, whether it's sickness, whether it's like family drama, like whatever it is, like what if we counted the obstacle in our life, not as like some enemy, but what if we like the Bible teaches, faced it with joy, not because we can just overlook and like silver lining through the pain, but because we know that it is the tools in the hands of God to transform our very image into something better. And this isn't just like my ideas. Listen to what James says. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness in its full effect have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He's saying, hey, Israel, like, I know the Assyrians look scary up there, and, like, you're doing all this wheeling and dealing to protect yourself, but, like, they are in my control. They're in my hands. And one day, my wrath will change from you back to them. In other places in Isaiah, he, he talks about calling them with a whistle like a dog. He's like, all of the enemies of God, I can summon them and dismiss them like a dog. He is sovereign and in control. In the middle of, like, the chaos of this world, guys, I know, like, this last year has been bonkers. It was crazy. I've never dealt with so much, like, depression in my life or, like, my friends' lives and and counseling and all of this has like been a wrecking ball on us. And, and, and yes, we can look at this as like, you know what? There's been so many temptations for me to be like, 2020 was like this blimp on like God's plan. Like it was just this weird speed bump, like we're moving on. Like, no, like 2020 was an invitation from God to transform us more into what he wants us to be as his people, to move idols out of our lives and to put Jesus squarely where he belongs and where... Honestly, the only thing that can sustain us can belong right at the center. That's what Isaiah is telling his people then. And it's a very similar situation that we're in now. And then Isaiah 10 ends in like a storm. We see all of this. We see like the infestation of all of human pride. We don't know anything about that, right? All the human pride uh, in that time uh, is chopped to the ground. God swings his axe, one commentator says, and the whole evil system falls. Bare stumps as far as the eye could see. No branches waving in the wind. No birds flitting around. No life. No movement. No sound. The world is dead. And don't miss this. This is what the commentator says about this. Out of that shadow, something grows. Something grows. Back on the farm down south in southeast Missouri, uh, Harville, Harville, we had on the back 40, like growing up, my dad, we had like random pine trees throughout the farm, and um, I, I, I like to think of them as pine trees. As a kid, like we would cut one down, like we, we started moving to the artificial trees later because, man, when I look at home videos and home and pictures and stuff, like I was very under a delusion. Um, but we would, my dad were like, let's go cut down a Christmas tree, and we'd go out in the woods and we'd have all these pine trees, and some of these were, looking back, were bushes. They were not trees. They weren't even like... Charlie Brown trees, they were super ugly. Um, But anyway, we had like these pine trees uh, throughout the property and on the back 40, there actually was a really beautiful tall pine tree, but it's not one you could put in your living room. This is like Clark Griswold tree, it's very big. Um, We could have chopped it down like he did and and whatever, but this big tree and it was always fun to go back in the back 40 and see this pine tree. Well, storm hits eventually and tree comes down pretty sad like my favorite tree on the property is on the ground and is dead like over the years decays dies but then something happens out of like the deadness of this massive pine tree if you go out there now there's an entire grove of pine trees pine bushes whatever we like to call them uh and it's huge it's this massive grove of trees uh and whether you believe them or not my parents saw a mountain lion out there which is extra cool and totally a side note. It makes, has nothing to do with anything, but <laughs> it's cool. Um, but the point was, like, for me, it was, like, oh, like, this tree was dead. It looked like nothing was coming out of this. And now we have a grove. And that's the situation we find Israel in here. Like, the nation, when, when we talk about remnant, like, the people that God preserved out of, his, out of his, like, people that through all of the persecution that went on, Only God could have made something happen from these people. It was such a small, insignificant group of people, and and God's saying, I'm going to change the world through them. And then we get to chapter 11. Out of all the stumps in the field, verse 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Finally, finally, in all of the history of God's people, we see the true king from the line of David begin to reveal himself. He's in, and, and he's set apart from other kings in history. Why? Because it says with the spirit of wisdom on him, this King Jesus doesn't need to have political clout, an astounding military career, followers on social media, or use any of the mechanisms that this world deems as worthy to lead. It, he's set apart, like Israel has experienced so many like kings, like David was this amazing king. And, and, and we have all these kings that are like, oh, this is going to be the one. This is going to be the one from the line of David that saves us. And they're over and over again disappointed in these kings who fail and fall and fall and fall. And soon we get this man from the line of Jesse, who was Jesse, Jesus, or uh, David's daddy, right? Like we get this man out of the line, this king who has the spirit of wisdom on him. He doesn't need anything that this world thinks is, is, is uh, necessary to lead. And it says he will be supremely powered by the Holy Spirit who not only dwelled in him, but also raised him from the dead. It says he will bring ba- about a more righteous reign of peace than we have ever imagined. The wicked will not have the last word in this world with this king. This king of justice who John says has eyes like fire. Eyes that see into the heart of man. Like, listen to what it said back in, in verse 4, but with, righteous, with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips. Man, this God, this King Jesus is set apart from any other ruler that the world knew then and the world knows now. And can we sit for a minute and think what the reign of this Christ shall look like, What will look like? Like, we don't even understand the kind of peace that the Bible talks about here when Jesus will return for us one day, when he will make all things new. We can't even fathom that kind of peace because we have so much anxiety built into us with the the fallenness of our world. When the Bible talks about the world is groaning for the return of the Son, like, we we get that with the world that we are in pain and suffering. Things aren't as they should be. The oppression and, and, and awfulness and sickness in this world, things are not as they should be. We can't fathom this peace. But we are given a picture in the last few verses of Isaiah uh, 11. When you look at verses 6 through 9, they give us a glimpse, this provocative glimpse into what this peace will look like. It says, verse 6, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together. the sea. Church, from the moment we breathe our very first breath on this earth, we have not known what peace is. We've never experienced it. And from the moment Adam and Eve bit into the fruit in the garden, like peace was disturbed for all of us, the curse of this world. I personally have lived a life of like major anxiety from like college to now, like I've battled with anxiety in places that are like you wake up in the morning and go through the routine like I was talking about earlier, just to make sure, okay, things are good. I can go about my day. And even though like I have victory in many of those places now and I can walk in confidence and say like, you know what, God has me, God's with me, he's for me. All of the things I know are true in scripture. There's still an unrest deep within my soul because things are not yet as they will be on that day on that day for those in the family of God we will one day have rest and peace that surpasses all understanding and the word pictures in verses 6 through 9 are meant to provoke us why? because we know Nat Geo generation like we, we all have seen this stuff more than Isaiah even did we know that wolves, leopards, bears snakes, they're amazing killers and here my son is like super into this stuff right now. So it's like all the time. We, we watched Wild America three times this weekend with my parents. Just like loving to see the hunt and the brutal, and it's amazing to watch, but like it, it is brutal. The imagery is brutal, it's bloody, it's gruesome, it's violent. And the prophet here is saying that when Jesus reigns one day forever and ever, all of the violence, the tears, the pain, the suffering, the war, the torture, the sickness, it will be done. Death will be no more. And all of this will be so because when the shoot, that little shoot from the stump of Jesse Rules the knowledge of God will flood the earth. The knowledge of God will flood the earth. Think about that for a second. The curse of sin entered the world when the knowledge of good and evil corrupted us in the garden. But when the knowledge of God floods the earth, one commentator says, curses are decimated and this world will be healed forever. So if you're a believer in this room this morning and you're here and you're listening like I would invite you to hear three things. One that that God loves you enough to not let you live in idolatry forever. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning and you are walking away from him, you've you've locked on to something that is other than him, other than him that is like unworthy and and it's not even necessarily a bad thing, right? Like, our children and, like, their success in the world is not a bad thing to, to like, to, to desire. But when it becomes the only thing that we latch on to we put our hope in and our trust in and our faith in, and we give ourselves to that, what, what Jesus is inviting you to hear this morning is that that will not sustain you. <clears throat> People will disappoint you. Leaders will disappoint you. Structures all of the things that we like say are good sometimes, they, outside of Jesus Christ, they will fail and topple in time. That's the way this world will work until Jesus makes all things new. So God is inviting you this morning, and he loves you enough to not let you live in your idolatry forever. So if you're latching on to one of these things as idols, and there it's on the pedestal of God, be ready this morning for God to grab your chin and redirect you. It's happened to me, and I'm sure it will happen again. The second thing that you can observe this morning is that the pain that you experience in this world is purposeful. It's not meaningless. And it's here to sanctify you for your own good and God's glory. This is one of the hardest things for me to grasp in my life is that the hard times that I go through are not just like these meaningless things that happen to me, but they are actually tools in the hands of the God who loves me and has a plan for me and a plan for you and for this world to sanctify and make this place his own kingdom, to glorify his name. All of the suffering has meaning and purpose. And the third thing is that God's plan to redeem you will not fail. It won't fail. If you follow and believe in Jesus Christ, one day you are promised peace forever. The kind of peace that doesn't even make sense, the kind of peace where babies can put their hands on the den of a snake and it's fine. There's no anxiety there. Long for that day. This is supposed to provoke in us a longing for the day when God will redeem his people, when he will bring us finally into Eden again, and he'll make all things new. Stand with me there this morning. And if you're a skeptic in the room, and you're just like, I don't know what all this is, like Isaiah's got a lot of weird words, Jason says a lot of weird stuff every week, like if if you're in that place and you're a skeptic, my three things for you is that God's wrath against sin is absolutely serious. It's serious. He is a loving God. He is also a just and holy God. And anything outside of what he makes clean will be punished, will be removed. He teaches that in Isaiah and the rest of Scripture. The second thing is God's control over this world is absolute. All of the things that seem shaky or that seem unreliable, like God has them in his hand and he's moving them according to his plan. It's absolute. And this last thing is one of the most important things I can tell you this morning is, yes, God is in control. And yes, God takes sin seriously. But God's love for you is infinite. It is infinite. It is beyond. It is, it is beyond what we can even grasp and understand. So like no matter like where you've been in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've fallen away, no matter how muddy and dirty and broken you are, like God is the God whose name, one of his names is actually Healer. I was praying this this morning over the city of Popper Bluff. Like God's name is Healer and he can bring together what nothing else can bring together. He picks us up out of the mud, brushes us off, give us a robe that is his own robe. And calls us sons and daughters because of what Jesus did for us. This is a reality for you today. His love is for you. And so, today, if you don't know this King Jesus, the one that will come, the one that will bring about this peace, who has the spirit of wisdom and understanding, all of these things, this is an invitation from the Spirit. My prayer for you this morning that your heart would soften, that you would hear and that you would see, and that maybe for the first time you would fall in love with Jesus. Maybe for the first time. I want to end with the lyrics of a song this morning. It's called A Church of God Invincible. It's by Matt Boswell. And, it, and for me, it, like, it sums everything up that Isaiah is telling us. He says, O church of Christ invincible, the people of the Lord, empowered by the Spirit's breath and nourished by his word, His covenant of grace will be our portion evermore. For he who called us will not change our help and our reward. O chosen people called by grace, the sons of Abraham, who walk by faith and things unseen and on his promise stand, that every nation of the earth will hear about this love that causes broken hearts to heal and pays our debts with blood. Of church of Christ in sorrow now, where evil lies in wait, when trials and persecutions come, this light will never fade. For though the hordes of hell may rage, their power will not endure. Our times are in the Father's hands. Our anchor is secure. O church of Christ, upon that day, when all are gathered in, when every tear is wiped away with every trace of sin, where justice, truth, and beauty shine and death is passed away, where God and man will dwell as one for all eternity. The marriage feast of the Lamb on that day is something as believers that, like it drives me to like wake up in the morning and do the work that we are called to do as believers. To think that one day, all of the pain is, is coming to an end. And Jesus will come and reign forever. Let that hope drive you out of these doors this morning. Let that hope well up in you to make, make a difference in like the circles of influence in which you have in your neighborhoods and your workplaces. Let that hope of Jesus actually do the transforming work that it's meant to do in your life. Because it will. And be ready when it happens because when it does, It will be overwhelming. And that's my prayer for you guys this morning and my prayer for this city. Let's pray together. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for the word that you gave Isaiah. Thank you for your word that's true, that your promises are true, that you never break promises to us as your people. Lord, thank you that you hold us in your hands and you never let us go. God, when I stumble, when I fall, when I, when I look away from you, when I break promises to you, you don't smack me down, Lord, but you hold me and you say, no, 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 son, like I love you. Come back to me. It's a love that surpasses what we can even fathom, Lord. And so we thank you this morning for that. Lord, I pray if there's people in the room this morning that don't know you, that don't know the love of this Father that is so radical, God, that that removes sin from us by a man who came, who lived, who died, and who was resurrected for our sin. God, I pray that those in the room today that don't know you would experience the holy and loving power of God. That hard hearts would be shaken and softened and broken if need to. Lord, give us a picture of heaven this morning that drives us to our knees in worship. A picture of that day when all of the things that we look at that are hard, like you promise us that they will end. Lord, the sickness in this world that that breaks us into pieces and makes us sad, like you promise it will end. The injustices that we see promise us that it will end. The wars that rage, the death that is overwhelming, you promise us one day it will end. So on that day, Lord, draw our eyes to you this morning.